This week on Tech Radio, Facebook has gone all back to the future and tries to make the metaverse happen again. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RT Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 989. This week, we have all the latest announcements from Meta. We also welcome back the longest-serving astronaut to Earth. Spotify says it's okay with AI, and X gets into more trouble. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, I suppose we'll start off with Facebook and the big Connect event during the year. Yeah, 10th anniversary of Connect during the week. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg got up and said, hey, the metaverse is happening, uh, as Mm. he has done for the last few years. Yeah. Of course, uh, have you invested in a virtual reality headset? Why? There's the first question. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can do stuff to do with Stranger Things now, uh, apparently. Um, but uh, here's the here's the thing. It's happening for real this time. Um, <laughs> Is that what he said? No. Uh, but you you know he's trying yeah. to get people excited about. It. Yeah. And do you know what? Like, if you're into it, you're already into it. You've been into it since HTC's mm. Weave. You've been into it since the first generation Oculus Rift. There's an awful lot of marketing speak about it uh, ever since. A lot of people looking at the potential of the technology and going, yeah, maybe you can do this. Mm. Maybe you can do that. That's that's fine. Like uh, gallery tours, things like that. You know, wonderful education applications. Mm. But I mean, are you going to drop a grand on a, on a headset? Of course you're not. So... Uh, out, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg has come with, again, another standalone headset. Uh, available from the 10th of October, the MetaQuest 3 mm-hmm. will be 549 euros. Um, personally, I went on to uh, Tinterwebs and I had a look at the price for the Quest 2 at the moment. So if you want to save yourself nearly 200 euro, um, maybe go with that instead. Give and it a go. Try it out last year's metaverse as try, it Try out last year's metaverse. <laughs> There's not an awful lot has happened uh, well, that, well, that's exactly what I'm thinking is like kind of this is still breaking territory. So save yourself the, the 200 quid, get the Quest 2. There'll probably be some kind of a software update where you're able to experience the same as you would get from, from the current headset. Uh, and at least it gives you a flavor of it. But it, it comes back to, you know, kind of what I said at the start is why? Why, yeah. why would you want to do what does the metaverse uh, and what worry sorry it doesn't worry me because Mark I don't have a very high opinion of Mark uh, Zuckerberg uh, I think he stumbled upon Facebook and it just took off and he kind of rode the horse alright uh, this time round he is trying to flog a dead horse with the metaverse because just nobody's interested. It's not taking off. Well, nobody's interested in his version of virtual ah, Okay, well then let me ask you about that, all right? Just talking mm. about metaverse and 3D being online and having avatars and be able to move around and see people and yeah. live in a virtual world. Why would you want to do that? I don't understand. Like, what, How is that going to benefit my life doing that? Yeah, well, they, they will say that it's the, the whole immersive experience, the finding a new space, uh, particularly if you look at gaming and entertainment for the moment. Hmm. Those are the two things. Now, that said, I have seen what you might call an entirely new kind of media evolve. Hmm. Um, There was one example of a VR experience where it gave you the example of being in solitary confinement in a prison, right? So you put on your VR helmet, you look around, you're just in a cell. And it's amazing how little your brain needs by way of a prompt to actually 
accept something as being real. It happened to me years and years and years ago. I was in a, what they called a virtual reality cube. It was just giant thing and just had projectors on either side. I didn't have a headset. I just had a wand and uh, I was looking all around and what my environment was a car accident, right? There was a giant hole in the road. A, um, a truck had swerved to avoid it and had upended, right? Very standard thing. The whole idea was that it be used for, I think, first aid training or something like that, right? And there was a length of wood across the, the hole in the ground that had caused this accident. And um, they said, right, um, just stand on that piece of wood. I said, yeah, that's fine. Now, step away from the piece of wood. These were not fantastic graphics mm. by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. Could I step off? No, because my brain was processing that is dangerous. Don't do it. So even if you try one of these very basic VR experiences where you're on the top of a very tall building, mm. you're looking down and you've got that in your throat. Like you've you've got your, you're noticing something is very wrong here. Um, I've gotten to the stage where, you know, I just, you know, take the helmet off straight away. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nope. That's, right, that's okay, my right. limit. So there is massive potential. I'm just not sure it um, uh, it gets it aligns with Facebook's sort of productivity slash marketing. I don't think that they've found a social use for it because what you no. describe right there, I can think of a dozen reasons that you could use this in business, and I'm immediately thinking of you know we've had flight simulators for years. Mm. Uh, I believe they have one for uh, uh, London Underground for for training the the train drivers. Same thing, like you okay. know and. And yes, you can be duped into thinking, well, this is reality or something close. And the one you described is fantastic. So for training, mm. uh, business, uh, as you say, for games, it could possibly be very good. But for day-to-day social, it, it, there's nothing along the lines of social media. It's not an Instagram. It's not a Facebook. It's not a, a, an X or anything like that. So yeah. anyway. The, the, well, moving the, moving on from yes. that to their other big, uh, well, they had two other big things to announce. One mm. of them is their EMU, which is their sort of uh, extended reality experience. It's basically like you, you apply filters pretty much to things. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying a bit, but not by that much. So if you want to put TikTok filters on something, Facebook is your guy now. Um, and uh, also they are continuing their partnership with Ray-Ban uh, where they are putting forward another generation of their smart glasses. Mm. Again, you can save yourself a lot of cash and get the previous generation. Uh, the current slash new version is starting at 329 from the 17th of October. Um, previous generation is 259. What they're adding mm-hmm. is live streaming. Uh, and I'm like, yep, that's, I get it. If that's what you're into, mm-hmm. yep, I, I understand. So, the expressive media universe, another generation of Ray-Bans, another attempt to get us to buy the the Oculus Quest. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much everything you needed to know about Connect. But there's a whole bunch of other Facebook news if you're interested. Yeah, there was one. I read something about the moving that they've bought a bank in in Ireland. Well, I mean, this is something that they they did years ago. They bought the old AIB bank centre on Marion Road, which is ah. Marion Road, just opposite the RDS. I know it. Very distinctive building. Um, so Facebook bought it. And they refit it and COVID hit. So what, what the heck are you going to do with this thing? Yeah, the world has changed. The world has changed. Uh, uh, coupled with it, uh, Facebook have let a lot of people go. Um, so, you know, forget about getting everyone back in the office. It's like, who have you got left to bring back in the office? Um, coupled again 
with the massive glut of vacant office space in the city at the moment. I think it's something like between 10 and 12.5% vacancy rate. Ouch. You know, it is very difficult to get people to actually move into these mm. high-end office buildings that are being put, that are being thrown up around the city at the moment. So, um, yeah, what they are doing is, in order to offset the sort of, what they like to call spare capacity, I'm sure, um, they are going to sublet parts of the building. Mm. Um very similar to what Amazon are doing, actually, only they're calling it a startup space. <laughs> so if Facebook start branding something as, you know, Startup Central or some nonsense like that, yeah. um, you can you can expect that to happen. They're on a 25-year lease with the building, so they're not getting out of it anytime soon. Speaking of um, leases, they actually broke a lease in London uh, very recently and it cost them 150 million quid. Sterling to get out of it to get out of it yeah but like that's kind of that, that's like you or me going I'll tell you what, I'll buy this round <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know to them I mean? yeah you yeah. know it's, it's four drinks it's whatever 30 quid or something like that like you know that's the same same for Facebook uh, it'd be I think the other thing and I'm just being cynical about this it'd be something possibly like uh, was it the digital hub in yeah. Dublin 8 uh, it might be something like that or if I was Facebook what I would be doing is I would be getting startups in and and I would be giving them reduced or free rent in yeah. the building in exchange for equity in their company. Because oh most of yeah, but most of them will fail. Yeah, one of them, one of them could do spectacularly well and completely overpay. Mm. Yeah. Suppose it only takes one, really, doesn't it? That's a, well, that's it. It's, it's like any investor will tell you that. They'll go, I invest in 10 things, eight of them will die, one of them will do reasonable, and one of them will take off. Yep. That's the numbers that they work on. Anyway, that's uh, Facebook. Let's move on to uh, the company I like to refer to as the East Enders of the technology world. What's this week's drama with X this and Elon Musk? X and Elon Musk. Well, Get out my social media network! <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. Uh, X, finally... You know, it took a week. <laughs> is is on? Uh, it's in the EU's bad books. They've been given what has officially been dubbed a yellow card. As we know, the Digital Services Act uh, has come into force. Mm -hmm. um, it is there to protect you and me and everybody mm -hmm. from things like misinformation and poor quality um, social media moderation. It's to make sure that we are, you know, not so much protected from ourselves, but that, you know, big tech operates in an ethical fashion mm. to demonstrate that it, it holds our, you know, safety in high regard. Mm. Uh, X has yet to do so. As we know, they down, well, Elon Musk, since buying Twitter, slashed the company from seven and a half thousand down to about 1500 workers. Um, he's not paying a lot of his bills. Um, and, uh, as of right now, he is not paying an awful lot of attention to what the EU is interested in, mm. whether it's the application of the Digital Services Act or the European Commission writing official letters saying, look, mm. you are the worst social network for misinformation. <laughs> we are working with all the others, all the others operating in Europe. We are working with them. They yes. have a voluntary code of conduct that yes. you guys opted out of. Yes. And you are the worst for spreading misinformation. Uh, there are Russian campaigns rampant on your platform and you're doing nothing about it. Will you please hire some moderators to protect your users? Mm. Or, and here's the fingers crossed, we get the first 
first punitive application of the Digital Services Act, which, as we know, will cost you what percent of your global turnover? I think isn't it ten percent or something? They've, they've gone crazy. I think I think it's six percent. All right, I okay, think six percent. I thought but it was still, like ten. It's it's, it's okay. I, I think it is actually because okay. it used to be four percent. Yeah, and it really jumped. Yeah. Like okay. Really, but whatever, it's going to hurt. And for a man who's cutting back on his expenses as much as possible, mm, yeah. it will hurt doubly so. Yeah. I think. I think just the very concept of being fined something will will hurt his ego. Ah, how very true. Mm, how very I think, true. I think so. But you know, I can be snarky and say, you know, ten percent of nothing is nothing because your social network doesn't <laughs> make true. money. Do you know what makes me laugh? <laughs> Do you know what makes me laugh the most about X? What? is that the whole idea was we had Twitter and now he wants to just make it really short, okay? Mm. So he's called it X. But the result is that everybody now calls it X, formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, that's true. Making it the longest named social media network in the history of man. Very true. Speaking of history and records being broken, uh, Frank Rubio, uh, NASA astronaut, is home. He had spent a considerable amount of time in space by accident. Uh, By accident, yeah. Let me look up the exact uh, length of the mission because Mm. he is far and away the longest serving astronaut on the International Space Station. Um, right. He spent 371 days up there. Right. Wow. The That's next a year. Person, Just over, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next person behind him is Mark van der Heij. Uh-huh. H-E- van der Heij. Okay. Van der Heij. Um, yeah, Mark van der Heij. Uh, he spent 355 days up there. So smashing the record. Okay. Uh, and then it goes down to Scott Kelly at 340 days and Christina Koch, wow, wow. Um, longest ser- serving woman on uh, astronaut, woman mm-hmm. astronaut on the International Space Station at 328 days and mm. lo- it goes from there. So uh, what happened that he had to spend more than a year up there, right? He, he spent six months longer than he actually had to. So he was just meant to be there for six months. Yeah, that's okay. it. Okay. Did yeah. he miss a train? Do you know what? You're, you're, you're not too far off. Really? Uh, oh, go on, go on. Well, you, you are a bit. Um, what happened was um, his mission was due to wrap up and he was, you know, travelling in verse commas with, uh, with, I think it was two cosmonauts. Mm. So it was an international mission. Wonderful. International Space Station. Who Whoever would have thought it. Um, and what happened was that the uh, landing craft that they had suffered a coolant link leak. They reckon it was hit by what they called a mi- micrometeor, right? Something that you wouldn't even notice seeing. And all of a sudden, just this coolant leak happened. And they were like, okay, well, what can we do? And they were told, okay, well, look, we can send you up another another capsule and you can dock it and it'll be there mm-hmm. and you can go. Um, but we can't leave you guys. We can't leave the station unattended. Can't leave nobody in the house. Mm -hmm. So we have to wait for another crew to go up and relieve you guys. So you can just get into the ship then and leave, right? Because there has to be somebody there. Mm. Um, Okay, when's that going to happen? Oh, six months time. So he had to wait an additional six months. But I don't understand because like, when the asteroid was coming to Earth... Tommy Lee Jones and Clint Eastwood were able to get one of the space shuttles and they were there like in a week. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. So like why they talk, this whole real life thing is just not working out for me. It's not working out. <laughs> Actually, do you, do you want to know the global uh, longest 
mission or rather longest it's a person Russian. in space. It's a Russian guy. Yes, it's, yeah, a, yeah, Russian. Yeah, it's a Russian gentleman. Vasily Polyakov mm-hmm. who spent 437.7 days in orbit between 1994 and 1995. That's an extreme way to get away from your wife. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty extreme. It's like, I'm not, I ain't going to get served with no divorce papers. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to Spotify. Now, there's yeah. very interesting stuff going on uh, with AI and whatever. I mean, we've had the Hollywood writer strike and yep. they seem to have come to some agreement. And AI was a huge yep. part of that agreement on the And the actors are still out on strike because, again, AI is a huge part of that. But hopefully they'll get it sorted. Uh, but AI it, it generated music is also like a huge problem for, uh, for, for Spotify. And it's in the news this week. Why? Yeah. Well, we talked about... Um uh, generated music and AI in music before. There was mm. the Jake slash Weekend collaboration, uh, which I, you know, we we both agree was mighty convincing. Mm. Um, there is also um, sixty five days of static are doing their Wreckage Systems uh, project, which streams on YouTube all the time. And mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're they're basically it's kind of generative music. I, I'm not sure how sophisticated the AI behind it is because mm. it's been going for a while. Uh, and what they've been doing is plucking bits out of that feed and releasing them as uh, uh, as uh, EPs, mm. which I think is a really, uh, really clever idea. Uh, there is also a gentleman by the name of Raymond Scott who had a device called, it was, it was a self-playing piano. Uh, what was it called? Anyway, but we, we've had self-playing pianos for like 100 years, more, 200 years. Yeah, Even exactly. more than that, actually. I'd and say that's... even back to Mozart's time uh, where they were using, uh, it was a mechanical piano yeah. and you would have like a roll of paper or some kind of material and would have perforations in it. Yeah. And where the perforations were told the piano what notes to strike yeah. uh, and therefore you had automated music. Yes. So this is nothing new. What What is Raymond Scott doing that's so darn different? Well, it's not what he's doing. I mean, he's long dead. He died in 1994. But he took that idea of the self-playing piano and he was like, okay, well, what what would happen if I could get a machine that not only could play music automatically, mm. but compose it. Ah. And, you know, this was what, the 1920s, 30s. He uh, dedicated his life, uh, well, the latter years of his life, to coming up with a machine that could do this. And he did all sorts of other things to sort of pay the bills in the background. Like he was a very successful band leader. He was a very successful jingle writer and he used an awful lot of electronic sounds that just weren't being used. Mm. Um, you know, in, in the same way that like the Doctor Who theme came from the BBC sound department who were just playing with stuff. Okay. Um, Raymond Scott was, was the kind of guy who would just play with stuff. And he did so many records, but he's largely forgotten. Um, and you know, I, it's it's one of these things. Some people just slip through the slip through the cracks. So uh, there's a wonderful podcast about him actually in the Last Archive, which is a show that's related to um, the podcast Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, which is all about uh, infrastructure. Mm. But um, yeah, so he wanted to create an automatic songwriting machine, um, and to this day, there is one. There is one out there. Uh, I don't want to say out there. I mean, it's it's preserved. And people are still trying to get to the bottom of how it actually worked. 
because there was an awful lot of industry interest in this, in particular from Motown Records, um, who really wanted to find out, okay, you know, we're churning out a, an awful lot of music. How mm. how can we do it even faster? And uh, do you know what? If you don't know the man, if you don't know the name Raymond Scott, I guarantee you know his music because an awful lot of his music was used in Looney Tunes cartoons. No way. Yep. yep. As in recently. What uh, if he died in 1994? No, as in before that. Back so, in the day, the so original. He, he was generating music automatically. He was making... The, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. He was making a lot of music and they ended up used in Looney Tunes cartoons. Ah, I got you. Okay, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very prolific gentleman. Yeah. Uh, he figured out a, a way, looking at tempo and things like that, mm. to almost scientifically put together music. Uh, and, you know, the idea of the self-playing piano, that was his kind of, um, uh, the player piano. Mm. Uh, that was his dream. That was his invention, as yeah. it were. Yeah. And in the same way that you had... Um, the imitation game, you know, the giant machine in that. If you could imagine something like that, you know, a Turing machine for, for music, you know, that's that's the sort of thing. But, hey, Spotify are looking at it now. AI generated music, as far as they're concerned, it's all right. So they're just going to let it on. So that uh, yeah. Drake weekend uh, mashup that was all done by AI. Sorry, it wasn't Drake and it wasn't the weekend. It was an it was, AI version yeah, of them and some yeah. that was composed. So they're happy enough to uh, to let it run. Well, of course, in some ways, yeah. you know what? Well, of course they are. David Ack came out and in an interview at the BBC, he admitted, mm. you know, it's going to be tricky. But he also looked at things like autotune. Uh, and he looked at, you know, uh, again, sort of not, not quite deep fake, but mimicry. Mm. Um, and he said, you know what? Like, you can have AI use music or create music that is influenced by people, but, you know, maybe replicating them is a bit different. Now, I disagree with that fundamentally because you remember the song Blurred Lines from a few years ago? Robin Thicke, yeah. Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams mm-hmm. and uh, TI. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sued by Marvin Gaye's family. By Marvin Gaye's family. Yeah. And the family won. Mm-hmm. They won on the basis of a groove that was replicated in the album. Not lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, not, uh, you know, uh, not melody or anything like that, but the groove of the song was considered enough to be copyrightable. And uh, those guys made no money. Their, their, their royalties were forfeit. Mm. So... I think um, Spotify is walking a very dangerous line. If you are coming, getting to a stage in, you know, legal, in the legal world, yeah. where a groove can be uh, copyrighted. Well, you see, the first mm. thing Spotify will say is, well, we're, we didn't create the music. We're just a platform. Oh, just we'll a we'll platform. roll that one out and then that'll keep yeah. us going for a couple of years. Well, of this is why that. the Digital Services Act is here to protect us. Mm. Um, so let's see how that rolls. Grant. Speaking of platforms, uh, let's wrap up with Google Podcasts. Soon to be no more. Uh, Google Podcasts. Um, we hardly knew you. No, actually, no, we knew you quite a bit. Uh, it just ish. wasn't. Yeah, ish. yeah, yeah. It was what two thousand and nine. It started. I think they kind of jumped on it and they had their own app and stuff like that. But it just it, it, nobody nobody went for it. Oh, it was two thousand nineteen. I think two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen. Also, also going is the basic HTML version of Gmail which I think people will be much more upset about. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. How's that going to affect people who use Gmail on um, on, on Chrome browsers on their computer? Any effect? I, I am, no. It's all HTML5 it's anyway, all, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, it's all HTML5 now. So the, the original version, okay. if you like that, that's going. But yeah, Google Podcasts, another product that kind of withered on the vine. Well, let's see now, because, you know, you're, you're, you're straying into my area now as, yep. as, as a podcast producer. I Google, hope so. Google do lots and lots of different things, as we know, and they try lots and lots of things. Yeah. And podcasting came along and it was huge. And Google said, all right, well, we'll do our own version of the app. Uh, and they were kind of the third one to throw it into the ring, so to speak. All mm-hmm. right. It didn't really take off because Spotify had a huge leap on it. In fact, actually, it was Apple iTunes because that's kind of where it started, really. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. They made it easy. So they became mm-hmm. the king quickly. Yeah. Uh, and then Spotify, because they were throwing so much money at it, they came in and they kind of almost equaled with Apple. So at the moment in the world, uh, you have got uh, Apple and Spotify, and it depends on which market you're in mm. as to which one is the most popular. In Ireland, Spotify is way more popular than Apple, whereas in the States, Apple's way more popular than Spotify. Um, but then Google Podcasts also threw their thing into the ring. And what Google has found is that Google are actually really successful with podcasting. And uh, in many markets, most people will listen to uh, their podcast using a Google service. And that Google service is called YouTube. Yeah. They don't use the Google Podcast app. So uh, Google are really pushing on YouTube music at the moment and as well as the, the videos. And they're doing quite a good deal, actually, mm-hmm. in that if you want to watch YouTube uh, ad-free, I think it's a tenner a month. But if you want to watch YouTube ad-free and also have YouTube music, it's like 12 quid a month. I think it's something like that. They're trying to bundle the two of them together. Mm. And YouTube music, is it's, it's almost exactly like a Spotify or uh, an Apple Music uh, kind of an app, like, you know. So I think what the Google are doing is they're not necessarily, they're retiring the podcast app mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. and they are running it into YouTube Music. So all of their podcasting stuff is going to go into YouTube Music, which will become an app very much like uh, Spotify, mm-hmm. where it's a mixture of podcasts and it's a mixture of music, which I think is really interesting because we had a thing back in the 80s, which was a mixture of music and and talk programs. And it was called, um, oh, crikey, uh, radio. That's what it was called. Yes. <laughs> And that's where Spotify is sitting now, because if you want to listen to talk program, you just dial it up and you get whatever it is, mm-hmm. your flavor of talk, and, and you get it instantly. You want to hear some music, you can either play your own stuff or you yeah. can just play a playlist or whatever, and, you, and you're happy with it. And Google are finding that, nat- this goes back to our what we were talking about Facebook in, in the first place, okay, uh, where Facebook are trying to push the metaverse, but nobody cares. Yeah. All right. Google have been pushing the podcast app, if you want to put it that way, but nobody cares. What they found is people are using the YouTube music app way more for listening to podcasts and they're using the YouTube service online for listening to podcasts. So they're just adapting and they're following the people which I think is quite clever. Um, and then they also do uh, podcast measurement uh, and all kinds of other things and all of those things will continue. Mm. So they're literally just retiring the app. So, you know, I had to take away all the drama for you there, Niall. <laughs> Google Podcast, R-I-P. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sounded good at the time. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they, they're they killing the app and they might as well because nobody's using it. Yep. There you go. Listen, that is it for uh, this week, Niall. As always, thanks for keeping us up to date with the news. Remember... You can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more 
at our website, techcentral.ie. Space Week Ireland is going to be taking place next week from October 4th to 10th, funded by Science Foundation Ireland and coordinated by MTU Blackrock Castle Observatory. You can expect all kinds of talks, workshops, and I believe even some comedy. This week, Niall Kitson spoke with Rob O'Sullivan, Space Week National Outreach Coordinator, to find out more. So, Rob, Space Week Ireland sort of implies an international element to it. Um, so tell us a little bit about the event. Uh, yeah, so Space Week is a, is a global celebration uh, indeed. Um, it's uh, World Space Week uh, are having a theme this year on entrepreneurship. Um, so we'll be running some entrepreneurship themed events here in Ireland as well. But uh, it's by no means uh, a requirement. If you're interested in anything to do with space at all, Space Week is the time to, to get out and celebrate that passion. Or if you're just curious, go, go find an event that's already happening and learn more. And so the whole ethos behind Space Week really is to inspire that interest and to celebrate that passion for those of us that are already interested. One of the things I found fascinating about Space Week is that it's not, a, a, I suppose the word might be prescriptive, top-down model of an event uh, or a festival. It's kind of grassroots and sort of coming to a, to a head under this one banner. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. So we'll be working with our colleagues in Science Foundation Ireland and the European Space Education Research Office to coordinate a handful of events ourselves for sure. But Space Week is mostly about finding people in our community who are already passionate about space. You know, there may be astronomy groups, librarians, you know, teachers, or even families who are just enthusiastic about space and just giving them a means to uh, to explore that or to share that with other people and, uh, you know, to tell people what you are doing in your, your astronomy club or your school or even in your family home. I think something that people have gotten used to or have come to expect out of events is striking that balance between in-person events, but also uh, the virtual and online that they can just tap into uh, remotely at home. Uh, are we going to have some of that experience as well? Absolutely. And uh, I, I will say that that was one of the few lessons that we learned during the uh, unfortunate COVID-19 pa- pandemic is that there was a silver lining in the access that some of the more rural communities had to events, because it, it was certainly easier to run events in cities for a very long time. But it did mean that urban areas uh, were getting overserved and that rural areas were missing out. So when we moved some of these events online and started to see people signing up from these rural areas, it was really encouraging. And we got some uh, nice correspondence from teachers in parts of the country where they were saying, look, we're actually very grateful that you do this because getting to the local museum with our, with our kids is expensive. Um, so this is a, a great opportunity for us. And, you know, it's, it's not about you just logging on to Space Week events that we may be coordinating. If you want to run a remote event yourself, if you're living out in a dark sky area, for instance, and you want to tell us about how great it is, you know, set up an event, tell us about it on spaceweek.ie and we'll be happy to share it with you and your local community. That's something that really stood out to me in our conversation earlier was uh, these sort of dark, dark sky reserves. Because when you say that the cities are overserved uh, by events, you're kind of missing out uh, on an awful lot of the experience um, because you're you're dealing with light pollution all the time. So tell us a little bit about what happens uh, at dark sky reserves. Absolutely. So uh, dark sky reserves are areas that are either through circumstance or through effort. Um, 
they have lower light pollution. So Kerry Dark Sky Reserve is one great example. You've got the, the mountains down there blocking off most of the light pollution coming in from the east. And you've got the Atlantic Ocean then out to your west. So there's very little light pollution in the, the Dark Sky Reserve. And the problem with the light pollution is that it basically washes out the lower magnitude stars and things like the Milky Way. You just you won't see them with the naked eye. Um, so if you're in the city, you, you've probably not seen the, the night sky um, as it is in its kind of untainted glory. And uh, there was a study done by uh, Brian Espy in Trinity College Dublin a few years back where it seems that at least 50% of Irish people live in an area with significant light pollution where they can't see the Milky Way. And, you know, that, that's a sad thing. Like, it's this it's beautiful, spectacular, awe-inspiring arm of our own galaxy that, you know, it, if you, when you finally see it, it makes you realize how small we are, how insignificant in the, the, the grand scheme of things we are on this tiny little rock in our universe. And it's a humbling experience that many people are missing out on because they're not living in an area where it can be seen. So these dark sky reserves are certainly worth protecting, worth visiting, and definitely worth celebrating because Ireland has some of the best dark skies in the world. We're very lucky in that regard. And something else that Ireland is particularly good at is actually embracing the idea of studying space. Uh, I think there's some pretty, uh, pretty encouraging statistics on that front. Yes, absolutely. Um, we've, we've got some really cool projects. For instance, uh, the AirSat1 project is a graduate student-led pr- uh, program uh, that will see the first Irish satellite sent to space. Uh, I believe it's due to, to go up later this year. It was initially scheduled to go up earlier in the year, but the, the mission had to be bumped back uh, due to some issue with a rocket. So that'll be like the first time that Irish people have sent a, a satellite to space, which is really, really cool. Um, but in terms of just the raw numbers of people participating in Space Week year on year, Ireland consistently places in the top three. Um, and that's in just raw numbers, so not even in per capita terms. So, you know, we're, we're holding our own against countries with much, much bigger population sizes. So it shows that there is a really strong appetite for engaging in all things space here in Ireland, which is great to see. I suppose that kind of um, perhaps is a function of the, the lack of kind of infrastructure in Ireland where you're not going to see any rocket launches. However, there is this tremendous enthusiasm uh, about the potential to see something like that, or perhaps the increased um, coverage or not quite democratization, but the increased reach of the space industry through the likes of you know SpaceX, that news about space seems to be coming more plentiful, more accessible. Do you think there's an element of that, that when private industry gets involved, it sort of elevates things in the national conversation? I think that's certainly uh, an argument to be made in in, in that uh, regard. Um, Some people would disagree, and I can see both sides of it, that, you know, going private in in some ways um, can be a bit of a, a detriment. So if you look at the Apollo mission, you know, that went to to the moon, that was primarily a government effort, whereas when you're overly reliant on industry, um, you know, there, there, there may be a requirement that it be profitable. So it can kind of hamper re, uh, exploration for exploration's sake. The flip side then is obviously that you have this competition that drives innovation, uh, which can see that the what we've seen with the likes of SpaceX and the Dragon module being able to regularly service the International Space Station. Uh, so that's definitely an element of it. Uh, SpaceX are certainly very good at publicizing themselves and they do make really, really cool uh, videos of their rocket launches, which people get excited about. 
Um, but I think the other great thing from the Irish context is that the government have been pretty good at recognizing the potential for the Irish space industry to grow. And uh, that was recognized with the Irish uh, space strategy for enterprise a few years ago. Um, so, you know, we may not be physically launching rockets ourselves, but there's a wealth of data to be gleaned from satellites and that can be converted into things like useful applications, for instance. Uh, so there's lots of downstream potential. So if, for instance, you're taking a European Space uh, Association um, satellite data that's covering the uh, rural areas of Ireland, you might be able to look at those photos and ascertain, listen, there's a lot of nitrogen in the soil in this area. If you're a farmer and you can download an app that tells you that, you may not need to spread fertilizer. So you can cut down on your fertilizer costs. So whoever created that app has then made a profitable thing without ever having to go near a rocket. You know, it's, it's thinking outside the box, which I think a lot of people assume space means astronaut, but there's a lot of top-down, you know, satellites looking down at Earth opportunities out there as well. And But in terms of actually going out there and exploring space, we've got opportunities too. There's a, a, a company called Enbio that developed a heat-resistant material that I believe was uh, primarily used in the biomed industry. And uh, it turned out it was actually an excellent heat shield to use on the solar orbiter. So that's you know, an Irish product that's now slapped onto the outside of a satellite that's uh, checking out the sun, which is really, really cool. You've got, you know, uh, communication specialists from Ireland working with the European Space Agency um, on, on missions. You've got uh, engineers checking on the rockets. You know, there's any number of ways you can get involved in the space industry. It's not purely, a, you know, the right stuff astronaut kind of a, a field anymore. I think the European element there can't be understated as well. That really is a, a, an accessibility uh, or a point of accessibility for Irish companies who perhaps haven't thought about applying their uh, technology uh, to space. But do, do you know what? There might be a use for them. Absolutely. And as we mentioned earlier, like the, the theme for this year is entrepreneurship. And there are so many opportunities out there for people to just, you know, investigate the space sector a little bit, anticipate the problems and the challenges that they're going to be facing and ask yourself, is the product I'm developing something that can be used in the space um, industry? And there will be opportunities. There'll be space industry days and colloquiums um, you know, throughout the country and throughout Europe in the, in the coming uh, months and years even. Uh, it's, it's a fairly regular thing now. So you can learn more about how you can uh, venture into these areas. And of course, at Blackrock Castle Observatory, my colleague, Dr. Niall Smith, is just very well versed in these areas. So if you are an entrepreneur who thinks you have an idea that might be worth exploring, uh, by all means, reach out to us down in the observatory and we'll be happy to help uh, point you in the right direction of people who can support you in exploring that idea. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Rob O'Sullivan from Space Week. And you can learn more about the festival at spaceweek.ie. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. As always, you can check out more stories online. We didn't quite have time to squeeze into the podcast today, including how generative AI is putting pressure on data centres, a climate change study using smart pebbles in Dublin and Sligo, and registrations are open for the next Tech Fire webinar, this time on security automation in enterprise defence. All of those stories and more online at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player. Please do. On the next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.